Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, alongside Gangster Pete on the ones and twos in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. All of our sponsors, Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Seth Goldcamp, and Design Air Heating and Cooling Online at DesignAirService.com, and, of course, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet at Landoff.com. Make this podcast possible. Support the sponsors. Otherwise, we have no podcast. So if you enjoy the program, support the sponsors. That's the name of the game. Every Monday, a new interview for you. This week, Billy Bush. Really enjoyed that conversation because we wound up uh, not only talking about growing up in the Bush family, but also uh, the AB InBev transaction from a little more than a decade ago and his thought process behind the scenes on that. And, uh, and that was really candid and, uh, that one, that one was one that, um, I, I think that that would fall into the category of, oh, I didn't realize this was going to be that good. Billy Bush. I would recommend that one. Questions from the audience comes your way every Wednesday. You can email me your questions at tmckernan at insidestl.com and they can be about whatever. We welcome anything. We welcome everything on questions from the audience. So feel free to fire away uh, anytime you would like. Uh, I had a, had a bunch a couple weeks ago that I didn't get to on the fan page, and I wanted to get to those today. Uh, and then we have a couple in the emails, and so I wanted to get to those as well. Team McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Uh, this seems to be kind of an underlying theme to questions from the audience, and then also to an extent the interviews with some of the business elements of it. Uh, specifically entrepreneurial, certainly the Billy Bush one with him and, and, and what he is now doing. And if you want to hear what he is now doing, uh, there are details this week in our interview. But uh, Ryan Kelly's been a guest and, um, and a number of media personalities who've kind of started their own thing. So uh, this question comes, Tim, I'm in my mid to late 30s and have been in marketing, either advertising or digital for my entire adult working life. It's getting old and just doesn't do it for me. I've looked for jobs around where I live, which is Chicago, and just haven't found anything that seems remotely exciting that I have any experience with. At the same time, I've been dying to start a business, but with a wife and kids, a mortgage, etc., it's hard to imagine taking on the risk. And I suppose the transition from a corporate job with a stable income and benefits to striking out on my own can be rough. So I'm at a crossroads of sorts. Should I stick it out in a line of work that doesn't please me? Do I risk opening up a business or do I attempt to get into another field, which would likely require going back to school at night and or taking an entry-level job complete with a pay cut 
or is there another option? Thanks. And I don't know if he wants his name said, so I will, uh, I will not say it, but anyway, um, you know, it's, that's so tough for, I, you know, the, the official disclaimer before answering the question is I don't know anything about your circumstance. I know you have wife and kids, but is it five kids, two kids? It's gotta be more than one since you said kids. Um, what's your current income? So therefore I can't, you know, project out, you know, it's just not. So all I can speak to is a very broad yet. I don't know if the right word would be emotional, but, uh, fulfillment element. And I know for me, you know, I, I think I can say this. I don't think it was on the air when we were talking. Um, but I don't think he would be like, Oh, I can't believe you, you know, said this on your show. Uh, Mark Monavani, who was a guest of the podcast, uh, and a guest on TMA and nearly won St. Louis County executive. I think he lost by like 900 votes in August of 18. Uh, I think a lot of people who voted for Steve Stenger now wish they could go back and change that. Uh, I'd really be surprised if many people felt strongly about their vote uh, then and would continue to vote for Stenger now. Either way, neither here nor there, there have been a handful of elections, um, almost all of which would be in the last, God, even less than five years, few years, in which I would go, wow, that's going to be a problem. Um, and that was one of them. Uh, the Missouri gubernatorial race in November 16 was another one. And I, and I like, I don't like what happens, but I like that my intuition on these things and that I say it in advance, by the way, because any asshole can go and say, yeah, I knew that this was going to work. What were, what were you saying in advance? Um, intuitions on character traits have, uh, have hit. Um, that's, that, that's, that's an important, uh, thing to come at from a, from a place of confidence. Uh, but at the same time, I don't like what's wound up transpiring, but I really thought highly of, of, of Mark as I got to know him. And initially I didn't know him at all. And we were BSing in a commercial or not a commercial break before we started recording. And I don't know what he was saying. I, I think he was being very complimentary, which was incredibly kind considering what he had done with his business career. And, you know, he's a very educated man. Uh, and I'm, you know, clown. And, um, you know, we were talking about starting up businesses and I said, I think I said to him, uh, I recall reading something recently in which someone said, the worst two things to be addicted to are carbohydrates and a guaranteed paycheck, which, you know, one people would, you know, understand that element. But the second one, people, what do you mean? What's wrong with a guaranteed paycheck? But if you have an entrepreneurial mind, you know why that is something that is a, a negative for lack of a better term. Um, because you, like I was like my, my, like in my family, um, being a salesperson is, is in, is in the blood. It's, uh, I mean, I, I've done it certainly to a limited extent. Um, but my father, my brother, sister, you know, and, and we were talking on mother's day and my brother said, I haven't known what I'm going to make at the end of the month for 10 years. And it's just, but he, but he likes it, you know, it's, it's that to me. And that's the kind of salesperson you want. 
somebody who's going to have to eat what they kill. And if they don't kill, they don't eat. That's the game. From an entrepreneurial standpoint, I always like upside. I like time. Again, these things, these thought processes are all going to go back to your, your question, but hopefully as I'm throwing out these little anecdotes, you see where I'm coming from. Totally random. But I was watching Jimmy Johnson, A Football Life, um, which seems like just the ultimate U-turn non sequitur, but it gets to what I'm talking about. And he, you know, obviously had that ridiculous run with the Cowboys. That was that was not a, a retirement. That was a breakup with Jerry Jones. And then a year later, goes to the Dolphins, wants to live in South Florida where he had coached in college. And, and just the Dolphins just, you know, they never were able to get it going. They did go to the playoffs, I think, all three years, and I think they won one playoff game. But, you know, Dan Marino was older. They never really had a running game. They just couldn't really get it going. And and then I don't know what it was, but something hit him that he his kids were grown and he never really got a chance to watch them play any sports. And Wayne Huizenga, um, who was the owner of, you know, a variety of both properties and teams in South Florida, uh, said it's so much of life is attempting to maximize, I think what he called QTL, quality time left. And, and that's, that's a, that's kind of it. Uh, now I realize under that umbrella of QTL comes, okay, well, how do I maximize my income in order to have quality time? How do I mitigate stress in maximizing my income so that my health is good enough that I can have as much quality time left? Um, but that gets me back to entrepreneurial, uh, thought processes and whether or not to take these risks. And you're right. You know, if you're emailing me and saying you're 22 years old and you've been working at enterprise or Edward Jones for a couple of years, and you're just like, this is not what I'm personally enjoying or fulfilling. And I think I have an idea and I think I can get capital and I think this would work. And I'd really like to take a chance. I'm single you know, I, th- that's, 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 you know, I mean, that's a different conversation than, you know, I'm in Chicago, higher cost of living. Um, and I have a wife and kids plural, and I've been dying to start a business, but I can't, I can't, you know, I don't know what you're making, you know, what you're making and I don't know how many kids and what your circumstances are. If your wife's working, if she's bringing in a substantial amount of money, I, I don't know. So all I can speak to is, what I have experienced and I know for me, and it cuts both ways that I like, I like the fact that even though I'm 42, which I guess is, you know, approaching the midpoint of a a working life. Um, and by that, I mean, if your working life starts at around, you know, if we're going to count after college is, was when it starts, which isn't by any means across the board. Uh, but let's say it's 22, uh, and you work until 67, you know, I'm starting to get to that midpoint. Um, and I personally like, even if it's not real, the belief that there is a possibility that if we do this, and then if we do this, and then if we, we know this is taking a chance, you know, we might be on a flush draw, but... We could either win the hand by moving all in or we could win the hand by hitting the right card. Um, 
I like, I like that. I like having that thought process. At the same time, I know that there are people who go, I don't want anything to do with that. I have a family. I might have multiple kids. Um, we're, we're barely making it work right now as it is. I'm not in a position to take that risk. I don't want to have to worry about phone calls and emails and text messages after 5 p.m. I don't want my weekends hijacked. I want to be able to go watch my kids play sports or go watch them perform in music, theater, art, whatever the case might be. I want to be able to travel and not worry about being pulled away for emails, texts, phone calls, meetings. I don't want to get a PL and have board members all over, whatever the case might be. And I get that. And so, you know, that, that's why anytime I talk about an entrepreneur, the element that, that I personally find so fascinating is the first chapter of each person's book, because no matter how big they might be now or how they might've just failed, everybody has a story about the decision, the decision to do it. And it's in, and then, and then these things that can turn into billion dollar industries or even whatever million dollar industry doesn't matter. They're ideas, they're ideas. And, and multiple people might have the idea, but this person was the person who wound up doing it. And it's not just like, okay, I'm going to do it. Well, there's a, there's a variety of uh, factors and procedures that you have to be able to navigate in order to do it. So, you know, I, I personally advocate it because I know for me at this moment in my life, the things that I personally want and what I want and what my wife wants and what we want for our child, you know, where we want to go and what we want to do, um, in, in this particular industry, um, more often than not, it has a higher probability of occurring, um, under more of an entrepreneurial route than just, Oh, this company thinks you're worth this and they're willing to pay you this. And now, you know, you've got this unless let's say this company's office in another city that you have nothing to do with has a really bad quarter, really bad fiscal year. And now all of a sudden they've got to make cuts and their cuts are going to trickle down to St. Louis. Um, and th those are the things that, you know, I would, as I, my dad has said, the only way, and this comes from his dad, the only way you really truly have power is if your name is on the door of the, uh, highest office. That's, that's what it gets down to. Otherwise, you know, you're at the mercy. And that doesn't mean that you're going to get screwed with. It just means that, that you know, that, that you're exposed, so to speak. But God, to get your name on that door, you know, that's, that's the, that's, 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 that's a later chapter in the book. The first couple chapters are rough. It's like when I talk about, when we talk about parenting and, and as I've said, each time I bring it up that people say, God, I'm glad you're talking about how bad the first six months are. And I'm like, oh, I, I, I can't believe people haven't talked about that. I'm sure people have, but just, I guess maybe they don't talk about it openly. But if we were lucky enough to have another child, um, listen, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be thrilled. I went home today and Anna Marie told me she's pregnant. I'd be thrilled, but I'd be like, fuck those six months. Oof, you know, um, so 
uh, that's, I think about, you know, starting a business and just having, and, and then there's the things that you know are going to be stresses, but then the, uh, the stress, the other stress is the things that you don't know, but you know that they're coming and you, and they're just essentially landmines. But I remember this, is a buddy of mine from, uh, my grade school who now has his own business and, you know, uh, I'd be hanging out with him and we'd be bullshitting. And he said, I've, I've heard people, uh, make a parallel, draw a parallel to, um, starting your own business is like launching a satellite into space. You know, it's, it's that process of getting it there, actually getting it through, uh, the atmosphere. But then once you do it and you do it properly at that point, then it's just, it's in orbit and it's, it's, uh, you know, taking care of itself along with making sure that you maintain and ideally you can fire more satellites up because you know, you have the one. So, um, I, to me, it's, 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 I, I say in general, the spirit of entrepreneurial ventures is something that I am 100% on board with, but you know, with regard to, um, you know, inside STL and taking, um, the risk on the ownership of this program, which I did when I was 33, uh, had I been married with three kids at that time, I'm not sure we would have done that. So, you know, I was in a position where I wasn't married and I did not have kids. And so I could, you know, I could play with my chip stack differently than if I were 33 with a wife and three kids and a kid who might've been, you know, eight or nine years old and, you know, and one who's, you know, six years old and one who's three years old and, you know. And, and I know this, you know, the stresses that would be coming. So that's a, it's a different conversation. It's a, it truly is a case by case business. I guess what I would say is this, what is most important to you? And that's something you can answer. Everybody can answer that. What is most, what is most important to you right now? And what is most important to you 10 years from now? And if there is something that you're going, this is what I really want. You know, for me, it's, I want to live in Jupiter. Eventually I want to live at the very least. I want to live. Yeah, that's what I say now. It might change here, but, but at the very least I, I, I just, the winters, I just, that's not for me, uh, in St. Louis. And I know we love Jupiter and Cardinal baseball's down there and our families love coming there. And you know, so, okay, well, that's going to cost some money. Uh, so what am I going to have to do in order to try to accomplish that? And even if it's not realistic or even if in a year I'll go, God, what the fuck was I thinking on that? or if it just becomes flat out impossible for whatever reason, it gives me something to work toward. And I have found in my experience, and again, this is only speaking for me. This isn't a, a recipe. This is my personal experience. I know that if I have something to look forward to or something that is a tangible goal, and I believe I have the playbook or somebody has essentially written their version of a playbook and I start doing the things that they did and I start seeing results that that is what gets me going. And, uh, and, and, and I can, I can use examples from business certainly, but even, you know, for those who aren't starting their own businesses or have their own businesses, um, you know, workout regimen, you know, I used to just go into the gym and just be like, okay, I guess I'll do this. Okay. I'll do this. And then I read a book. It was very basic. It's not like it was, you know, this, and then it's like, oh, let me do this. This seems pretty simple. And I'm like, holy shit. So then all of a sudden, you know, 
I have a plan. And I, I read this book nearly three years ago. It'll be three years ago here in a couple of weeks, actually. It was June of uh, 2016. Um, Bigger, Leaner, Stronger by Mike Matthews, because I'm sure some people are wondering about that. Uh, but it's, it's nutrition and it's also a workout and it just, it, it, it certainly works. But, um, and then also along those lines with golf, you know, you go, okay, I really want to do this. Okay. Well, this is what you need to do in order to do that. And then you can work on that as opposed to just going, I'm going to go to the range. I'm going to fire a hundred drivers and you know, that should, that should work. That's not the way that it gets done. So with business, what is it that you want? What is it that you want right now? What do you prioritize right now? And what is it that you want in 10 years? And can the decision that you make on either staying with what you're doing, get you closer or would be by quitting and starting a new business, get you closer. And of course, nothing's guaranteed. You could stay with your current job and they could have layoffs. You could be fired. You could start the new business and it could be an absolute failure. But for me, I'm pro upside. You give me a choice of guaranteed money. Now, of course, it depends on the guaranteed money. But if it's incremental, I'm going to take the upside over the guaranteed money. It's just how I personally am wired. And I know others are wired. But at the same time, everybody's circumstance is different. And they might not want to listen. My life would be a hell of a lot more calm if I wasn't wired that way. Um, and, it, and the grass is always greener. The people who are, God, oh man, you guys get to go down to Florida and do the show. I'm like, okay, yeah, it, we do. And it's great, but there are a lot of, you know, pieces in play that, you know, take place to, to make that happen. Um, and so, you know, it's not as simple as, oh, you're just down in Florida. I'm like, man, God, I mean, how many listeners? I know you're on vacation. I'm like, oh, vacation? But yeah, people perceive you're not in St. Louis. I guess you're on vacation. Um, it's just... It just, it depends on what somebody wants and everyone is truly different on that stuff and what you prioritize. Um, but I am a major recommend, major advocate of, of uh, the entrepreneurial spirit. So if you can do it and if you say to yourself, I have my eyes on this prize and I know I can't get there with what I'm doing right now, then my answer is you go for it. All right, next question. Now this is good. This is good. I'm trying to direct it, at least in part, into this arena, and I've asked for it, and I finally kind of got it, and I and I was really excited when I read the uh, the first paragraph because I'm like, oh, good, and that is either come to the table with uh, usually to be via email, which is good, it's good, you're comfortable because it's private, and I'm never going to say the name if you don't want me to, um, or you can just use a nom de plumes this gentleman has just got it too. Um, which is either just totally in disagreement, come at me fairly hard if you would like, uh, or ask what some would consider to be perverse questions. And I feel like this kind of meets, not necessarily intensely, but kind of meets those. Yeah, this is it, Gangster Pete. This is the one. Uh, hopefully it's a table setter for more to come. Hey, Tim, this is not meant to be judgmental or preachy or sharpshooting or anything of the sort, but when you talk about porn... And watching it in the morning and seeing new browser scenes and whatnot, I'm genuinely curious. Do you just have it on and enjoy watching it without having to crank one out every time? Which I thought is what the majority of men and what I do when I watch to pleasure themselves and then move on with the day. 
but it seems like you have it on in the background while reading the paper or doing emails and was curious how that started and the mindset behind it. Uh, again, not judging and to each their own, just curious. Thanks in advance. That's from random guy XOXO. Thank you, random guy. This is what I want. Now, listen, I'm happy to answer serious questions. Um, and I do enjoy, I do enjoy it. But like I said, my synapses fire on certain things and it gets, I move forward in my chair, an indication of a strong hand. And, uh, and I, uh, I enjoy this. So well done, random guy XOXO. Uh, let's see. Um, to be, here's, here's the, here's the 100% truth. Cause I just, um, it's like Anna Marie and I, I don't even know what the hell we were talking about last night, how it came up. Oh, the, the famous three ticket thing. And I say famous and I mean famous to like 10 people, but, uh, for the, for the blues game four, we'd been talking about going to one of the, the Stanley cup playoff games. I think if there's one that I regret not going to, it was the game six in which they clinched against Winnipeg on a Saturday night. But I'm telling you, and I don't know, I, I it's, it's, it's one of those things like anytime you talk about money, especially here. And then if you're coming from a perspective um, where you think, and by you, I mean the person listening, thinks that I'm like ridiculously wealthy or even worse, which is in like a sliver more, I think maybe like in the industry and the people who hate me um, or, 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 or I guess envious, but wouldn't say they're envious of the show's popularity. If we're going to be real candid, which I know comes off wrong, but I mean, it's, it's what's going on and their, their shortcomings professionally, um, is that I, I don't, I, I wouldn't have any of this stuff if it weren't for my father, who is a retired, you know, 70 plus something man, uh, who I never even talk about the business with anymore. But, uh, either way, my, my, my premise on, and this will, trust me, this will get to browsers. Don't worry, but we always take the, we always take the scenic route. Um, I'm looking at those blues games and knowing when I go on StubHub, how much tickets are and for real for that lower bowl for the, the Winnipeg game six, which was a great game and the blues advance, they dominate. Uh, it was, it was at least, I don't want to say at least 600 because somebody would go, no, I got some for 520. But ballpark, it was minimum of 250 a ticket. And, you know, I, I feel like this is, this is becoming like a regular thing. But, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm not, it's, I'm not comfortable spending that to go to a sporting event. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just not. Now, I should, I should specify. Western Conference Final, Stanley Cup Final, I'm comfortable. If it if it gets, like, just egregious, I'm comfortable doing it. As I'm sure a lot of St. Louisans have kind of gone and said to, you know, whomever, their their families, their wives, uh, husbands, whatever's going on. Uh, listen, we might wind up spending a couple thousand dollars on Stanley Cup Final tickets if this were to happen. That that might and it might be beyond irresponsible, but we're gonna do it. And I think I, I do think that's going on. Um, you know, in in the late '90s and early 2000s, I remember going down to Atlanta when the Cardinals played the Braves in 2000, and it was Game Three of the NLDS. And I swear to you, it couldn't have been 75 percent full at Turner Field. Now the, the Braves were down two nothing in that series, but the Braves had been to the playoffs every single year since '91, and you just kind of 
if it wasn't the NLCS or even the World Series, they just weren't, it just didn't mean as much. So the tickets for a blue Stanley Cup final are going to be out of this world in a similar way, possibly, and you could have the two forces meeting 15 years later, uh, Boston and St. Louis in 2004 with the Red Sox. Like, I've got friends who had season tickets in 04, and they said that was, they couldn't help but sell them. Especially, what a great position to be in for Game 4. I mean, you're upset the Cardinals are down 3-0, but you're pretty much resigned to the fact this isn't happening. I think Jason Marquis was starting. I mean, you know, it might have been Marquis and Pedro. I mean, you know, God bless America. You know, and but Red Sox fans didn't give a fuck. They wanted to be there, you know. And so, and you know, you got some New England money coming in. Shit. Uh, you know, so they, they were able to kill it. Well, that's what's going to have the ticket market is going to be inflated here. And the Boston fans, it's not like they're going to assuming it's Boston. And if the blues get passed and I realize we got to say all these disclaimers because if the blues lose now, it's because I talked about it on my fucking podcast, but, um, I'm just looking at the landscape. It's, it's the highest dal- dollar scenario, uh, for a non top five market is I think the blues, because I think a lot of people are setting aside money now getting back to this. I don't know, I, it, it, unless these are season ticket holders who just aren't selling their tickets, but there are a bunch of tickets available. Um, are people really, Pete, what do you think here? Are people like, like when I'm talking about the Winnipeg game, that Saturday night game six, are people buying these things? Like, and if they're, if they're, if they're going with just a, a girlfriend, wife, a friend, I guess a friend, they'd be paying for each other. But if, if they're, if it's a, a husband and wife, me and Anna Marie, we're paying close to $600 to go to that game. And I just, and listen, I'll piss it away, man. I will piss it away. But I'm just, I'm really surprised that that many people are pissing it. And I'm not saying it's pissing it, but but are willing to spend that because for them it might be worth it, you know? Yeah, I've, I think that people have a feeling something special is going on. And they but even be a part for of it. so even for Winnipeg, so they're just like, fine, I don't care, six hundred. Okay, I know there might be two or three games I want to go in the Dallas series. Fine, six hundred, six hundred, six hundred. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if people are paying that much. Like, well, that's what it, that's the, what it is on StubHub. That's okay. not a, that's not an exaggeration. Because I was like, yeah, let's go. And then I'm just, I said to her, I said, I mean, we can do it. But I said, I got to be honest with you, I that I just don't feel real good about doing that. I mean, if it's six hundred or that range, I'm holding out till the finals. Yeah. So, so anyway, we don't go to that. And then the game, the game five on Friday against the stars didn't go to that same deal. Part of it is, which is just messed up, but it's, but it is the truth. And I see it because I track, I track everything. Uh, and by that, I mean, I track how many hours I sleep, the quality of sleep I got, uh, what I weigh, what I ate, calories, macaroni. I mean, it's, it, I'm telling you, this is, this is some weird shit here. You're always like, oh, weird because the porn. Oh, it's, it gets, it gets really, 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 really weird. Um, and, and so I know that by Friday night, if my sleep is a, is a, is an account, a checking account, a savings account, take your pick, whatever, the, 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 the dollars in the account dwindle by Friday night because I've gotten probably at the most six hours of sleep Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And I'm just, I'm on at nine o'clock, nine 30 on Friday. I'm just out. And so I'm looking, I'm going, okay, we can go to game five, but it's five, $600. And I know I'm just going to be tired. I just really don't want to do it. But if you want to do it, I'll do it. So we didn't do that one. Game seven is tempting as it was. The tickets that we could have gotten were um, 
would have been a tough angle. And I felt like for doing the show the next day, uh, I wanted to be able to speak, you know, cause I wouldn't be able to go back and watch it. I wanted to be able to speak from a place of authority and you know, authority. I shouldn't say that, but, but knowing what I saw and listening and watching the broadcast. And, uh, and so I'm like, I'm, I'm going to pass on that. That one, in listen, I mean, obviously, if you can Monday morning quarterback and you know what you're going to get, my God, I mean, that's 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 game six of the 2011 World Series there, that game seven of the second round against the Stars and Maroon's goal in double overtime. So now we got Friday, no matter what, the Blues aren't in a position to clinch. The Blues aren't in a position to get eliminated. Um, no matter what, it's an important game. They're either, you know, trying to avoid going down three to one, or they're on the verge of going a win away from the Stanley cup final for the first time since the Monday night miracle in which they were a win away from the Stanley cup final. They didn't get there in 01 when they lost in five and didn't get there in uh, 16 when they lost in six. So no matter what it's substantial. And so a listener, um, and I'm telling you this, I'm not forgetting that Brazzers is the destination. Don't worry. So a listener um, reaches out and says, Hey, I heard you talking about how expensive tickets are. It just so happens. Uh, our family's going on vacation. Uh, actually today I'm recording this on uh, Wednesday, May 15th. And, uh, and so we have tickets for games three, um, and four and six, if you want them. Um, and when I read the email, it said it's a five person row. And I don't even know where the hell is a five person row. I guess I know now. And I said, I'll take him because he was doing it for face value. Like, I'll take him. And I said, I'll pay you a premium too, just because, you know, this is a very kind gesture. I said, but I, I you know, Wednesday, I know I won't go game three. I won't go because I got to get up and do the show, but uh, game, I'll take game four and I'll take game six. And I said, I'll buy all five. He goes, oh, it's not all five. It's, it's, it's a five person row. We have three tickets. And so I didn't feel like it would have been cool to say, oh, well, I'm only going to take two tickets and stick him with one when he's doing me a favor, you know, because he could go to StubHub or the Blues, I guess, have some kind of secondary exchange. I don't know what's going on, but either way, he could have made money on him. And then I'm kind of fucking him, you know, so that, that wouldn't be cool, especially when he's doing something nice. For Do you agree with that, Gangster Pete, or do you think I should have at least asked to see if I could get two? Gangster I Pete, think that's a cool move on your part. I think that's probably the right yeah, move. Yeah, it's the right thing. But that was if you're uncomfortable about it, you could have asked and just see what they thought. Yeah. I think you I think you played just, it perfect. He was just doing something. Yeah, I just, I, I just didn't. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll you know, sell one to a friend, you know, and I'm not going to like, okay, well, see, I bought it for this. I'm going to put, you know, a $100 markup on it because I think the markup right now when I look at the same section and row area, uh, it's about two times what I paid. I don't, that's not what it's about, but I'm also not just going to like hand my buddy, a, you know, few hundred bucks not doing that either so uh so now we have this third ticket it's a weird spot because i mean it'd be one thing if it's like me and a friend and then another friend now it's me and my wife and now you're like the third wheel and so what i have been joking about on the show although certainly i am taking offers because i live in my uh, parallel universe in which lesbianism is in play is uh we will uh, take for free um a female between the ages of 25 and 40 uh, and if, uh, over the age of, uh, 35, I think is the criteria that we need a confirmed body fat percentage. And then I hope that doesn't come off, uh, the wrong way. Cause I think it does. I think it's, I think it's classy to open it up to 40, uh, somebody who's 42, you know, uh, five, eight without the lifts and, uh, and, and no hair. I mean, I'm in a position to really kind of call my shots. Uh, so 
Anna Marie goes, you know, there probably aren't a lot of wives who, who would, who would like their husbands doing that. And I said, you know, that's a, that's a very fair, fair statement. Um, I said, however, we've, you know, in the 11 years we've been together, we've never really looked around and gone, oh man, we want to be normal, you know, or we, we really want to be, you know, take your pick of whatever's going on. So I said, yes, I said, I would agree. That's probably the case. I said, but Hey woman, because I was raised right. I said, Hey woman. So there are so married couples that, that go down and hang out in Florida at the age of 40, uh, or in your case, in your thirties woman again, raised right. I said, so you know what? The sword cuts both ways, woman. So, um, and, and then, uh, and it gets into, you know, and then it's like, well, and then you're, and then you're talking about the, the conversations you're having with porn stars on the show. And I said, that's correct. I said, this has been, I said, but you know, Caden as in Caden cross. And I was talking about my conversation with Caden cross, who I know, and Anna Marie knows, and we've met her husband, the Plowhawks guy, Manuel, uh, and their baby, I guess not a baby anymore, but I think maybe like five, maybe God, like seven years old now. Uh, well, either way, they have a daughter together. Uh, and, uh, and so we know them. And I said, this is not, this isn't like, I'm like in some, my free cams chat, you know, this is like a buddy who used to be a performer. I don't think is still a performer, a director. And we're talking about Gabby Carter's golf swing. Gabby Carter, the new adult film star, who has a chance for my money to be the uh, Jenna Jameson. But these days, it seems like they like get really popular and stag, and then they get out of stag, and then they do their own thing. So I don't know if we'll ever see another Jenna Jameson. I digress. So that's so I'm driving along on Monday, and Caden texts me and says, "Hey, I'm with Gabby right now because we had texted like the previous week about Gabby Carter, and she had just shot her." And she goes, "What was your question about golf?" And I said. Thank you for allowing me to ask this question. I said, we had her on the show, but I'm legitimately curious. I, th I think she had to play competitive golf. And she goes, let me ask her. And then she texts back and says, yeah, Gabby started playing competitive golf at the age of five. And she was so good that her parents wanted her to turn pro. I said, see, this is, this is, a, this is such an outlier for the, how many women in, who get into adult performing, like we're on the verge of becoming professional golfers. And so what I'm saying with this is in order to be in the mix to be a professional golfer, you have to have been playing at a young age. You don't just like go, you know what? I'm 15. Oh, I'm now 19. I guess I'll go pro. That's not the way the game works. Uh, sometimes you see guys who were high school basketball players who become tight ends in college, and then they get drafted in the NFL. I think the Rams had some of those when they were here, but, um, you know, that's not the way that was. So what my point was, she had to come from money. And so if she came from money, what is the story to getting to the San Fernando Valley? That's the thought process. I know it's fucked up, but that's what, that's what I was thinking. And listen, the golf swing is something else. I mean, she is using the ground like Justin Thomas to get more distance with that driver. It's something to behold. And, and, Kay, and I'm telling Kay, and I said, it's golf. She goes, I don't even know what golf is. I said, don't worry about it. Just be the middleman on the conversation with Gabby. And Anna Marie's like, you know, I mean, you're sitting here, we've been together for 11 years, and you're talking about a conversation you're having with a porn star about another porn star's golf swing while they shoot, while they shoot an orgy. And I said, that all of those things are accurate. There's not, there's not, a, there's not a lick of that, that that's not inaccurate. I said, but I, it's not coming from a place of, well, now that I'm talking golf with you, 19-year-old adult film star, 
maybe we can hook up, you know, or send me some pics. I'm just, it's for whatever reason, and I don't, I have no idea why, but for whatever reason, it interests me. I guess I could say I wish it didn't interest me, but honestly, even though I know plenty of people condemn it, I know part of the reason for the show's popularity with a part of the audience is the tee-hee-hee, I can't believe they said that part of it. So I happen to be interested in it. It's not an act. And and so, therefore, taking it back to your question, um, and your name is Random Guy XOXO. Um, yeah, I mean, I, for real, do not participate in masturbatorial activities uh, pre-show while Stag is on. I just don't. Um, back in the day, and here's why we got rid of, we had, I think it's the Hustler channel. I have no idea why, like, why would you even have this thing? And it's not, it's not like it's, it's, it's not like it's inexpensive. It was like $19.99 a month or $24.99 a month. Um, I mean, it was just, just, just stupid. Uh, and for whatever reason, cause I, just, I have no idea. And if somebody has a suggestion on what to watch, uh, as a, as a 42 year old heterosexual male, you know, father, husband at, at five in the morning, I'm all for it. Cause I can't watch, I mean, I guess occasionally sports center, I can't watch the local news. Uh, I just, I have nothing to watch. That's how I got into the, uh, Nick DiPaolo and Artie Lang show because that, that would air on repeat in the morning. And I'd be like, what? And I didn't know Artie Lang was doing a show. Um, so I loved it, but I, I have no, I don't know what to watch and I'm, I'm just sitting there. And so I would just put on channel 599 and I wouldn't be like, Oh sweet. This is my opportunity to, as you say, random guy, XOXO crank one out. I just would put it on, which I realize is so fucking weird. It's like back. It's like elevator music in a corporate office, but that's what I would do. And then we got to a point where my son was grabbing the remote. And so Anna Marie said, you know, he hits previous channels sometimes and the previous channels, 599. Can we just get rid of that? And I go, you know what? That's a very reason. Why do we even have it in the first place? Well, yeah, we got, so we got rid of it. Uh, so the Brazzers thing, uh, is, is real, but, but again, it's the same thing as the hustler channel thing. Although also, I guess it's maybe been a miscommunication and I gotta, I gotta take ownership of that if it, if it has been conveyed improperly, but, uh, that, I am not, um, like I don't have it on in the background or anything like that. What I will do is, uh, see what they have coming up and see if one of my favorites is involved. But honestly, that's another, it's, it's right there. I don't even know what it costs. Uh, and I know I'm one of the only like 10 people in the world actually paying for stag, but it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's so stupid. It's right there with the hustler channel thing. I mean, why would, why would I do that? I have no idea. I mean, it's, it's a, it, like for real, like a therapist would just have a field day with trying to figure this whole thing out. I don't have an answer for it. Um, I, I'm sure people are like, no, I'm sure you're ab absolutely pleasuring yourself. And I don't blame you for saying that. Um, but I'm, you know, all you, all you, hopefully you at this point uh, can just uh, believe me. And I mean, if I'm talking about all this, why would I like, oh, you know what, but I'm going to draw the line on that. But no, no, it's just, it's the truth. I, I, I don't, and I, I don't know why, but I'm legitimately curious about it. I have, and I have zero explanation for it because in the whole scheme of things, it's really not like fascinating. I think... I think that I love conversations where you feel like you can say anything or ask anything. I think that might be the root of the fascination. I hate conversations where I feel like something I'm going to say is going to lead to some kind of modern day Philistine judgment. I think that's, uh, I 
think that's what it is. I think that's what it is. Because it's not like, because it's not like I like I love to take your pick, whether it's somebody who listens to the show and I meet them out or, um, you know, whatever. I enjoy bullshitting with people. It's like my, my favorite thing, actually, is a good conversation. Love it. One of my least favorite things is small talk. Um, and so, and then if you're in a small talk spot, then it's like, oh, and then I really want to say this. But then if I say this, he or she might not like the word fuck or, you know, like, oh, he watches, he's the guy who watches porn. We can't be around him. And so I'm just like, I go into a shell. So with stag stars, if you're comfortable doing that as a, for a living, then you're going to be comfortable in an interview setting in which anything can be talked about, you know? Although Iggy, I guess, find, actually found the one vulnerability, which was asking Mia Khalifa when she became sexually active at what age, and and, and that led to a, a slapping down. But uh, but other than that, uh, that's why, from a guest standpoint, I find them to be fascinating. And uh, even though by, by no means is it is it usually you know a, a, an intellectual NPR conversation. So I, I, listen, you can psychoanalyze it all you want. I, I'm, I'm certainly open to to read theories and. Uh, master's theses on it, but um, that's the truth. I loved the question. I love that you know you might be coming off judgmental, which is fine. That's what questions from the audience is for. I am welcoming scorn. I am welcoming criticism. I am welcoming questions. A tip of the cap to random guy XOXO. I was just about to answer another question, the one that I'm about to answer, and then that popped up in my email. And I'm like, this is wonderful. This is what I'm looking for. Now, this is a very good question as well. This one's on the fan page. Uh, Tim, I'm getting worn out by the continuous vitriol toward NBC's broadcasting team for the NHL from St. Louis folks. I'm not saying this crew has been Nance and Romo, and I agree with Coyle being a tough listen, but as a whole, is it really worth all the complaining? How much of it do you perceive to be St. Louis's versus everyone, St. Louis versus everyone, and how much is genuinely bad broadcasting? Just think it makes us sound a bit Bush League as a fan base. And I just, I, I don't, there, I know there are questions in there, but I couldn't agree more with it. I, I think it's so, I'm telling you, I didn't know it was going to be to this level. I don't think it's unique to St. Louis either. I think it might be more extreme in St. Louis, but I just think this is kind of the way things are now. Um, but I go back to it over and over again. When we lost Joe Strauss, we lost the voice of credible dissent. And part of the credible dissent was, even though I'd kind of be like, especially if it was somebody at the station, you know, when he was working and we were all at 920 and he would like kind of dig on the cat or take your pick of other media person. But he would call out the, what now is just like a snowball with no sign of stopping rolling downhill of, of these St. Louis against the world, best fans, oh, they're being mean to us narratives, and just be like, oh, okay, here's reality, motherfuckers, even though he didn't say it like that. Actually, it would probably be a little more harsh than that. He just probably wouldn't say motherfuckers. And as I said a couple weeks ago, I don't know what we were talking about, but I said Joe Strauss is not walking through that door, and that's unfortunate because it's just, it's like this, and it's just like, and then I just watch it, and I'm, listen, I'm pulling for the blues. I'm getting up out of, off the couch because, of course, I'm not anywhere but my couch when they score a goal, uh, when Bennington makes a huge save. I mean, the Maroon goal was just just one of my favorite moments as a sports fan. But it's like, it's like everybody's a cheerleader. And and it's only safe to be critical if somebody else is being kind of critical. And then you feel like the water's safe to be critical. And, 
And I think, I just think it, it sends a, I call it a Fox News tone. I'm sure it's MSNBC, CNN. I have to make my, you know, equivalencies. But my premise is people don't want to hear things that they don't like or agree with. And so when they do, it tilts them more so now than ever before. Now, with that established, I remember growing up and my mom, um, who went to school at St. Mary's, which is the school across from Notre Dame, and Notre Dame wasn't co-ed when she went there, uh, but she took classes at Notre Dame, was a huge Notre Dame fan. Her brother went there. My dad's one of those Irish Catholic subway alums who, you know, goes strictly to football games and, and you know, you know, wasn't going to be going to Notre Dame. Uh, so I grew up in a Notre Dame household. I remember hearing, like, and so you, as, a, as a kid, it's dogma. You just take it as the truth without even thinking it through. Oh, I hate Keith Jackson's on the call. He hates Notre Dame. And then I, and now, I'm, you know, I mean, even when I was in my teens, I'm like, Keith Jackson, I hate Notre Dame, you know. Uh, or what Joe Buck always jokes about now, you know, I think it's on his Twitter bio. Yes, I call the World Series and NFL, and I hate every one of your teams. Um, it's just it's just not a real thing. You know, I mean, I, I've done studio hosting, uh, you know, and and... And, you know, obviously hosting a radio show here for, you know, I guess we're, we're actually at 20 years now, which is weird. I guess we're more than 20 years. Uh, and I just know that it's just not, it's just not what you think about. I do think that networks have preferences on matchups. And I understand that. But as far as the actual broadcasters themselves, they want to keep their jobs. And so I do not believe that Kenny Albert... Uh, Mike Milbury, Pierre Maguire, um, Catherine Tappan, uh, who else was on there? Keith Jones and Jeremy Roenick were like, oh, shit, the Blues won game two. Now we have to take shots. I disagreed with their observations, uh, and this was before it even kind of became a, a, a shitstorm on social media in St. Louis. Just watching, and again, I'm getting really into the weeds here, but watching their breakdown at the second intermission with the Blues leading three to two, and and Catherine set it to set up Ronick, you know, just like the Blues are lucky they're even in this thing. And I'm going, what? What are they? Why? But I'm like, okay, maybe I'm, you know, I mean, you know, Ronick, you know, I mean, he's a different level, so he might have seen shit that I don't have a clue about. Uh, and Catherine Tappen is a hell of a studio analyst, a studio host, so you know, maybe they're seeing things or know something. I don't know. I don't know. But I didn't feel like the Blues were lucky to be in. I thought they had two really, really bad minutes, but as far as the overall game, I didn't feel that way. And then after the game, Ronick and Keith Jones were on the same line of thought, even after Pete DeBoer and uh, Logan Couture and, um, God, I mean, Pavelski, and there were two other guys that they showed in the Sharks' room, and they were all saying, yeah, we played a shitty game, and they were talking about how they played really shitty games in the in the playoffs, the game twos in the playoffs against uh, Las Vegas and Colorado in the first two, and now another one against the Blues. But yet then they go back into the studio and Roenick and, uh, and uh, Jones are like, yeah, the, I mean, the Blues escaped here. You know, they just didn't play. Again. And I'm just like, the Sharks just said they didn't play a good game. And that's the thing. And watching some of these games against Dallas and against Winnipeg, I felt like the Blues didn't play well. We're actually outplayed, but they won. So I'm comfortable saying it. It's not like this. It's just I, I didn't see it. I, but because they say that, that doesn't mean that they are anti-St. Louis. That's, that's the point that I got to get to. I just don't see it. And I agree with it. And there is this... You know, I used to, when I was in Columbia and I first started anchoring on KOMU, uh, 
and, and was and was and had the funnest time I ever did doing television because um, that was the era of Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann and Craig Kilborn and Stuart Scott and Rich Eisen and every intro, every on-camera intro was essentially like a, you know, whatever, a line of some kind. It might have been a shot. And one of the shots I love to take being in Columbia and knowing how hypersensitive they were was at the inferiority complex in Kansas City. And God, that drove the people in Kansas City up the wall. It really did. Uh, and now... Uh, Kansas City here 20 years later is is moving in a really positive direction and you know you know St. Louis is 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 not to be uh, the euphemism and now again as I always say I'd buy stock in St. Louis but got to call it how I see it at least at this particular moment so there is an inferiority complex here now it's not toward Kansas City it's just that people are picking on us and I just don't see it that way. You know, I think if you're a broadcaster, maybe the only thing you're thinking is, oh, I'd rather go to the Bay Area than to St. Louis. But I also think as a broadcaster, having done this stuff, not play-by-play, but having to travel during post-seasons, you're also going, oh, the flight between Boston and St. Louis is two and a half hours as opposed to the six hours Boston to San Francisco or Oakland or San Jose. So uh, I think staying in St. Louis for a couple of nights would outweigh, and it's not like you're staying in San Francisco either. You know, San Jose is, you know, Warrington to, uh, to San Francisco. And by that, I mean, it's not like it's, you know, right outside the city. It's a, it's an hour, uh, what Southeast. So, um, with that said, um, I thought like Milbury's reaction on Dunn's goal to make it two Oh was just odd. Uh, people were, you know, saying Pierre Maguire's reaction to Bortuzzo's goal was, you know, what in, what in the world was that? I thought I agree with that, but I don't think it's because they're pulling against the Blues. I just don't. Now, people will point out that Ronick and Bruby had the, the famed history where Bruby hit him because of a hit from like 10 years earlier, you know, but, you know, and shook hands as hockey guys do after that stuff happens, whatever. I just, I, listen, I, I agree, I, I agree, Brett, with the premise. 100% agree with the premise. 100% agree with the premise, and I just don't, you know. You know, there's, there's, I can't imagine there are too many people in the area who want to see St. Louis turn around more than I do because my hope for this goes back to, like, the late 1990s, um, and that's when things were better. Uh, so it's actually trended down since then, but these, this, these narratives that pop up, you know, and, and, you know, listen, I want to see the Blues. Like my mom said this, and oh my God, I couldn't love anybody more than I love my mom. She goes, God, I would just love to see the Blues win the Stanley Cup. St. Louis just needs a huge win. And I'm like, yeah, but the Blues winning the Stanley Cup isn't going to, like, lead to solutions for the issues that have plagued the region, you know. And I say that from a—it'd be a great win. Just like I couldn't have been more thrilled with what happened at Bell Reeve at the PGA Championship. I mean, those guys talk about that thing like it was— one of the greatest tournaments they've ever played in. But, I mean, you know, that's that's not like, you know, that didn't keep Steve Stanger from his situation um, and take your pick of whatever other ill that, that would have been cured by a golf tournament. You know, I mean, it's just not, it's just not realistic. You know, it's like, it's like the soccer thing, which I think some people think is oh, going to be this huge win, which I think has been, well, I guess now it's obvious that it's happening. But uh, I've thought since November, actually, it's happening. It's not, it's not even a sweat. Give me, uh, I don't care if it's, I got to bet minus 5,000 to win a hundred. I might as well win the hundred because I know the minus 5,000 isn't hitting. 
Um, but then we'll act like it's this huge thing. And now we're turning around because we're getting an expansion MLS team. I just, you know, I've seen this stuff before and I see where we still are. And so I can't, I can't jerk everybody off, you know, listen, it'd be wonderful too. It'd be a great treat to spend a couple days doing it, but I can't. So I can't be dishonest about it. So when you hear these things of, uh, you know, this is, this is, you know, everybody's against the blues. I just don't think that's the case. I think if anything, the blues, if they got there are a hell of a story. I think right now, when I talk about Bobby Orr, a lot of people have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, and I think if the blues do get there and play the Bruins, you're going to be so sick of hearing about Bobby Orr within the next two weeks that, uh, that, uh, you'll be, uh, on a, you know, gag reflex when you hear the name or you see the picture. So that's, uh, there's my, there's my prediction. Uh, let's see. I like this one too. Um, in your career slash line of business, have you ever had a scenario with a sponsor? The majority of revenue ended up being a service or product you personally did not support. Realize you might not be able to fully be transparent or obviously get specific there, but cu- just curious if you've ever experienced having to weigh the revenue stream against throwing your name behind a faulty product or service. Have you discovered that to be the case over time? And if so, how you handle it? That is a great question. Uh, the answer is I will not do spots if that's the case. And I don't like you know, send out some hard ass email or, you know, walk up to somebody and say, I'm not doing this. I'm just saying I'm uncomfortable doing this. Uh, fortunately it's kind of like as an attorney, you can, you know, you cite, uh, previous cases to back up your, your premise. And the one that I always cite in St. Louis, it's been nearly 20 years now is body solutions, which was, and I'm paraphrasing here, but this powder, I guess that you would mix into water and then take before you go to bed. And then it supposedly made you lose weight. And I remember hearing the spots growing up and going, you know, one of the things that sounds like it's pretty important, it says don't eat after like 6 p.m. Well, if you're not eating after 6 p.m., then inevitably your caloric intake is going down and your caloric intake is what determines weight loss and fat storage. So that seems like that's actually the reason. But you can't do a spot for that and make money by saying that. You have to come up with some product that you drink and then go, wow, I'm really losing weight. Well, if you're not eating after six o'clock, there's a good chance you're not taking in as many calories, hence the weight loss. And then eventually at some point in the early two thousands, it got, uh, proven or the company had to acknowledge that it wasn't accurate. And you had a number of personalities throughout the St. Louis area who had been endorsing it. And that still sticks with some of these people. Um, and so I never, you can't put a dollar value on your name, your credibility. And I never want to get in a spot where it's like, oh, I hear Tim's raving about this guy or this company. And in reality, the whole time it was a scam. I just, I can't do it. So should it happen? And has it happened? The answer is yes. As you said, uh, Don, I'm not going to go into specifics, but it has happened. And once it happened, um, I don't know how many times it's happened, but I know it's happened. I just said, I, I'm not, I'm not comfortable doing the spots. Now I don't own the radio station. Um, but so however the station wants to handle it is the station's business, but because I realize they're dollars, but I, I, I cannot put my name behind it. If other people, um, you know, however anybody else wants to proceed, that's up to them. And, you know, and everybody's situation is different and so on and so forth. So it's not coming from a place of judgment. It's just, I know for me, 
So, you know, that's why, like, when we're talking about the sponsors on the podcast so that I can just rattle off or the people I'm endorsing on TMA. So if you're talking about Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com, Mark Milton, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, James Carlton, Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, uh, Design Air Heating and Cooling. For real, uh, I have uh, done business with four of them. They are my or or my family has done business with, with them. And uh, the only reason I'm not doing business with one of them is because I already had a family member handling that particular industry. Um, you know, so that's that's what it gets down to. But I've sent family members to, or I am using the, P- and it's just their services just because I'm, I wouldn't, I can't get in a spot where I'm vouching for somebody you know, and, and for example, I'm just using James Carlton off the top of my head because before I even started doing spots for him, he wanted me to come by his office and meet his staff and because he, he wanted to make sure that, you know, I was somebody he wanted me, you know, being a spokesperson for his company. It works both ways. So, you know, fortunately, uh, I don't know. I don't know what would ever happen if I did get in a spot where the company said, you know, not necessarily this company, but just in, in general, if the company said, no, you have to do this spot. I don't know. I don't know how that would work. It's never happened. But, um, uh, you know, for me, I just, if I know something is not right, or if the person who, you know, I've met with, I got a weird vibe on, I just, I can't. And again, it's not coming from a holier than thou place. I think damn near anybody in radio would say this. I just think a lot of times what happens is a sale is made and then you're given this copy and, and you're going on and on. But in reality, it's like the scene from private parts with Howard Stern. He starts doing the thing about the sporting goods store and he doesn't have the copy and he goes, Oh, my family and I have been going to the so-and-so sporting goods store. I remember going as a kid and then he gets the copy and he sees grand opening this Saturday. You know what folks? I just lied to you and I'll make sure that never happens again. Um, I'll never do that again. You can't do that. You can't buy that back. You can't buy that back. You know, it's like, it's like with breaking stories. It's a, it's a, it's different, but it's still under the same umbrella. There are times where I can be as close to certain that something is going to happen, whether it's a hiring, a trade, a firing, but there's zero upside of breaking the story. There's just not. I mean, it's a, I guess it's a dick tracing contest, but there's no money in winning the dick tracing contest. But if you're wrong, oh. So I'm just like, yeah, somebody, like, an occasionally will happen. And I'm just like, thank you. You know, they'll, like, email me or DM me or something. I, go, I appreciate it. That's very interesting. You know, unless I have another source, credible source corroborating it, I'm just not even going to, because you get in a spot, things can change. The information can be correct in that moment. And then, and then you wear that. So that's, that's the thought process going on there. Uh, let's see. Um, all right. I got, a, I wound up getting a lot of good questions. <laughs> what does Iggy do at the station? Dear God. Uh, you know, Iggy, Gangster Pete, you know, you're one of the producing triumvirate. What would you say? I know what my answer would be, but I'll, I'll, I'll go to you first here to see how you want to answer this. Well, Iggy's an awesome on-air personality. He's a treasure. There's no one like him. And he also has a very thick Rolodex, like an actual Rolodex no. with lots of numbers. He literally has a Rolodex. Guests. He truly does. He's now transferred it to. So, so I when we need those guests. are his two, major, his two major contributions, on-air and getting guests when we need guests and and rarely at this point on tma do we want them um 
but like during this blues run, I, I said to Gangster Pete and Iggy in a text, I said, boys, I said, uh, you know, at this point, at least one guest a day, if not two, you know, and as soon as the blues run comes to an end, we'll go back to rarely having guests. I just, regarding guests for the podcast, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this though. It's getting tough. It's been getting tough, but it's getting tough because we're at a point that at least when I started this thing, it's kind of like when you ride, it might've been what happened with Game of Thrones. You're writing it, you're writing it, you're writing it, and then you go, well, I don't know how we're going to finish this thing because uh, George R. R. Martin's stuff comes to an end, and we got to put a bow on this thing in the final couple seasons. It's like, ah, when we do the podcast, I'll interview, you know, this, 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 and and you're just like, yeah, and we'll have great. And then it's like, wow, okay, now we're at a point where we've interviewed all of those this, 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 and I'm going, okay, now we got to think, you know, and it's great to have people come back. Uh, it just changes the style of conversation, but that's super cool. It's like uh, Learn and Kerber have been on a couple of times, maybe somebody else, and then you're not doing like the the background style of interview. You're just bullshitting about current things, and you developed a rapport with them, and I enjoy that too. Uh, yeah, Gangster Pete, what? David Hun, he's been on a couple David times. David Hun's a great awesome. player. David, David Hun, David Hun, I could do a show with. David Hun would do a show with me. Uh, that's a good call. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, and I would imagine, and Gangster Pete was right, we were talking about, uh, we have a we have one more interview uh, that is quote unquote in the can, ready to go. Um, but I'm just like, yeah, we want a hockey interview for next week. But the Blues play Sunday at two o'clock, and you want it to be current when it debuts on Sunday night. So we're kind of in a weird spot. We got to wait for that game to be played and see where everything is. And you know, who knows? So anyway, it's just I digress. Uh, Iggy books guests. That's that's essentially the answer. But because the show is so guest light, which is by design, because I just. I mean, it's just, it's, it's what St. Louis sports radio has been for so many years. It's like, okay. And coming up, you know, the Cardinals are playing the Braves, So we're going to get so-and-so from the Atlanta journal constitution to tell us about that. And just like, Oh, the fuck is this stuff? I had a guy, uh, who I, I can't give the name, um, or the station, I guess for that matter, but said St. Louis sports radio was ruined decades ago when named a couple people were doing it. And, and all they did was like, it was like serious sports only and took calls. And so with St. Louis, where you oftentimes have people who have lived here all their lives and haven't heard what it's like in other markets around the country, that's what some of these people, because in this case would be older, uh, that's what they think it should be. And then if somebody was doing it differently, then that meant they were doing it wrong and they weren't good. When in reality... Now, TMA probably is on the extreme end of the spectrum, but in reality, more sports radio is more in that TMA, pardon my take, style of talking about sports and not hardcore sports and only sports because you're at that point reaching a certain audience and a specific audience, and it's not the largest audience. Uh, now, you have to have the right players to run that offense, but... Um, you know, and, and I didn't realize that. I mean, this stuff was going on in the, I guess, the 70s. So, you know, it's not like I was locked in. But, um, and I had never heard that before. Yeah, because that, that's not what sports radio is. Go to Boston and listen. Or go to Dallas and listen to the ticket. You know, it's not somebody going, all right, coming up, we're going to get so-and-so on to, to break down the Blues power play against the Sharks penalty kill and give us their perspective on the third line match. I mean, it's just, oh, my God, what the hell is this stuff? Or just... Because since it's got to only be sports, then you got to fucking 
belt out takes just to get people's reaction. You know, that's just not, uh, fortunately, it's not, because I, mean, I couldn't do it. Like, somebody could go, all right, we'll double your salary, but you can only talk sports. I'm like, all right, that's no good, because I'll never see the end of my contract, because you're going to fire me, because it's going to suck. All right, let me go one more. I'm going to go one more, and then I'm going to try to get next door uh, Gangster Pete to get my body somehow even tighter, and I can't even imagine it being even tighter than it already is, but that's what I'm going to try to do, and then get to a lunch. Uh, let's see. Oh, God, there are some good ones in here. Why does this happen? How do we get Brooks Kapka on the Tim McKernan show? Listen to him on part of my take today, and it was incredible. It's uh, from John. Uh, I, I, if, and I don't know, I would say it might be less than 50%, but if I go back down and uh, live in Jupiter in January, February, and March of 2020, um, I would do it differently this year with both my podcast and what Dan McLaughlin and I, uh, did during the off season. And I would either bring somebody from St. Louis like Nick Yale and just get them a place, uh, for those three months, um, or hire somebody there that is essentially our employee for those three months to make sure that if, and when we have something like a Kepka or all these golfers or Cardinal players who are obviously down there or, or members of the Nationals or Astros or uh, Marlins, should they have somebody that we recognize and would want to interview, um, or even the Mets, they're, you know, 40 minutes to the north, that we can record these things, shoot video of them, you know, video of the fantasy camp stuff uh, that we did, but, you know, go further than that because Nick was down there for that. Um, that's the way to do it. And, and so... I could have, and I did pursue Jack Nicholas. I mean, I, pursue would be light. I mean, I sent a few emails. It's not the way you get these things done. Um, but so many of those guys live down there. I think they would do it. I think they would do it. I, and I now have a connection, albeit light, to Kepka with uh, Warren Botke, the guy who trained him or was a swing instructor for 14 years growing up, that I would imagine if I'm down there for three months that, you know, Warren might be like, hey, could you do me a favor and give this guy a half hour? The problem is, is, you know, if you've been listening to this thing, episode in and episode out, and if you listen to the Fowler podcast, I mean, I'm down, and it's so basic. It's not like this shit's tough, but I'm interviewing, I'm setting everything up, and then I inevitably, all it takes is just fucking up one little button or the battery goes out, and then you do these things, and then it's just, then you've done it, and there's nothing there, and you don't record it. Now, fortunately, the Fowler interview recorded, um, but you know, it was done in a rush and I wanted to spend a lot of time with him. He was in a great mood. We got a lot out of it, but we could have gotten a hell of a lot more if we had more time. And then I thought I double clicked and didn't record it. So anyway, the answer is I would love to have him on. I think we could get him. Uh, I think it would wind up being good. Um, of course I think that, um, but no, I really do. Um, I think there's all this shit that we could do. You know, um, and that excites me. I just don't know if I'll be doing it again next year. And either way, if I am doing it, it there's only maybe one or two more years I can do it because my son's going to be in school at some point, unless we do the uh, the Kyle McClellan deal where you have your kids in school at one place for the part of the year and then another place. I think maybe Holiday did that. Um, so I don't know. But yes, I mean, I would love to have him on. I would, I would love to have him on. Uh, and if you have guest ideas, you know, Iggy and Gangster Pete are churning them out. But, I mean, it really is at a point, and again, people are like, you know, I would love it if you, you get President Obama on it. You know, we got we to gotta, we gotta operate in, this, in the scope of what's real. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's just when it gets down to it now, 
the thing is more than a year and a half old, which means we've done a new interview every week, minus I think we did two-parter with Gabe, two-parter with Young Pages, any other two-parters you can think of, Gangster Pete? Is that it? What do you got? Yeah, yeah. that's it. Uh, so that means we've had, you know, 75 to 80 new interviews every week. If I could go back and do it again, I would set the bar differently and probably break up interviews into two parts or something along those lines, you know, because this is, this is not easy to keep up, especially when it's essentially, at least at this moment, a local show. You only have so, uh, so many. Yeah, Pete. I heard a lot of good things about the new Billy Bush one. I have too. I've gotten a lot of good feedback on that one. Um, and that was one while it was going on. I'm like, man, this is really good. And I got to be honest, being totally transparent. Uh, I, I guess it was Iggy who set that up, I assume. Right. Mm-hmm. And he sent me an email saying, hey, we got Billy Bush, you know, this day. And I'm like, okay, I don't know a whole lot. I don't know how. And then on top of it, I don't think I'd ever met him. Um, I didn't know like what was cool to talk about and what wasn't. And then like we get in, you know, a couple minutes and I'm like, this is going to be great. This guy's, you know, comfortable talking about whatever. So major recommendation on that. Um, so anyway, there's uh there's the backstory on that. I, I hate when I'm like, I'm going to wrap this up and I see a bunch of good questions. Uh, all right, I'll go one kind of TMA one and then I'm, then I'm done. No matter what I'm done. How did you Martin and the cat end up together? Like the OG morning grind crew. Also, how, when was Justin Boyd first brought aboard? He's the best of the best that one. And then a kissy face emoji. Um, I was co-hosting with Frank Cusimano, the press box, which I know makes people go, there's no way in the world you two ever work together, but we really did. Uh, just because he is like, does a a preparation and is considered a good human being. And I am, you know, the antichrist and uh, obviously improv everything. Um, or as others would like to say, just don't prepare. And, uh, and it's when I was doing television at KMOV, uh, and I think, I think it went about a year. I was doing the morning show on KFNS and it was originally me, Rich Gould and Jay Randolph Jr., which honestly, uh, I would love to do a show with those guys now. But my personality then was kind of like I was 24 when I got hired, 25 when I got hired. So, I mean, I was just kind of subservient as like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm working with Jay Randolph Jr. and, and Rich Gould and I still was the new kid in the market. And, you know, um, and then... Uh, then Rich decided he didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, then it was Scott Warman with me and Jay. Uh, and then I think Rob Fisher was Frank Cusimano's co-host. And then he left to go to Memphis where he's been now for 17 years, I guess, 16 years. And he's like the Grizzly sideline reporter on their coverage on Fox Sports, I believe, uh, is where he is. I know he's the Grizzly sideline guy and, um, and also has a radio show there. Great guy. And so there was an opening and I had such a terrible sleep issue, uh, which owned my life for like five or six years. Um, and and I feel terribly for anybody who goes through it. It's, it's the worst. And I know it's for people who don't go through like, Oh, poor baby didn't get enough sleep. But if you have a sleep issue, it owns your life. You never, ever get out of it until you actually are done with it. And fortunately it ended for me in 2008, but I still have nightmares about going back to it. But either way, Frank's show started at nine back then. And, uh, and I said, I would love to do that just to move the time slot. And, uh, and so I worked with Frank and then Frank would be out. And when he'd be out, the show was called the press box. And then, you know, I got to know Martin and the cat from television being down at Bush stadium or being down at what was the Sava center at that time. Now the enterprise center. 
and uh, in between the Scott Trade Center. And we just had a, an amusing rapport when we'd just be bullshitting there. And then when Frank was out, I said, what about you guys coming in and doing the show? And we called it the Sandbox because we would play in the Sandbox. But that was initially an, it was supposed to be an insult from Frank's older listeners who hated what, what I represented and what we did. Uh, this would be like the hashtag talk sports people. And, but then the new ownership that came in and bought KFNS in 2004 heard those sandbox shows and said, that's our morning show. And, uh, and that's what corresponded with me leaving television because they came in and they, you know, more than doubled what I was making. I don't know what Martin and the cat got, but because they wanted us to be their morning drive show. And shit, because they more than doubled it, didn't even negotiate. Now going back on it, and then you just learn things as you go along. My God, I could have, I could have dug in on that. Plus, there was another station that had come in. The thirteen eighty came into the market, and they were bidding. So, uh, you know, that was a, I left some dollars on the table there, probably. But so we do the show. It starts in July two thousand four. Me, Martin, and the cat, um, and it was hated out of the gate. Hated out of the gate because it was so different. And St. Louis, even now, is slow to embrace change. But the thought process on it was, which I still to this day have, and I, in, in a way, I don't, my perspective is actually the same, which is sad. And that is there was nothing on in St. Louis radio at that time. And now I feel like it's the Rizzuto show and that's it uh, with us that young people were listening to. And it just, like fucked me up. And I remember emailings. I was with this guy down at the Super Bowl and when the Rams played the Patriots in New Orleans. And I said, and I pitched it to him. I probably still have the email actually. And he was an executive with a, a big radio um, corporation, a cluster as they call it, when it's a few stations owned by one corporation in one market. And I said, I'd really be interested in doing a sports show that's not really hardcore sports and kind of just screw around. I think there's a market for it because I don't think anybody's catering to young people in St. Louis. And I think... And he goes, I really like the idea. He goes, but we just don't have any place to do it, you know. And that was, and it didn't happen until these guys came along a couple of years later, because that was 2002. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's how it came to pass. Now it was hated out of the gate. And my understanding is the people who owned KFNS, even though we had contracts, I don't know how long the contracts were for. They might've been three years, but they might've been those, you know, employer favored contracts as they often can be especially when you're new in the game and it, they might've only had to pay us like a year, even though it was a three-year deal. Like my first contract at KMOV was, I'm like, yeah, I got a three-year deal. And then a guy who wasn't my agent, but was kind of helping me out. He goes, well, no, really it's a 13 week contract that they have the option to renew. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, take a look at this paragraph. You see right there, it says they can fire you and only owe you 13 weeks. That's a 13 week contract. I'm like, but it says I'm um, till 2002 and that's three years. He's like, no, you can't work anywhere else for three years, but they can fire you and only pay you 13 weeks. What? So that might've been what we had. Um, and it, and I, and my understanding is they actually were seriously thinking about firing us for real. Uh, cause it, it was met with such hatred out of the gate and, uh, and, Fortunately, they, they stuck with it, obviously, and here we are in 2019, and it's uh, it's still going. But uh, that is how it all that's how it all started. And producer Joe, we did not know him. Uh, they said we got to get your producer, and we're like, 
wants a producer, you know, um, and we're going to bring somebody in from Atlanta. And we're like, fuck, this guy, this guy must be like killing it down in Atlanta. Like who's he producing for? Well, no, he's a guy who uh, we know and he cuts lawns, but he works really hard. And that was producer Joe. No background as a sports talk radio producer, just was a, was apparently a, an aggressive lawn boy. And, uh, and, and, and that's how we got him and producer Joe and I, and I remember it and this still to this day, I hold this in high regard. He was motherfucking me to another person outside of the, uh, the show outside the studio one day, like early on. And, and even though, I mean, at that time I'm 26 or seven, uh, and I don't even know why I was thinking this way. Cause it's not like I was like, God, this thing's going to be around for 15 years. So we got to set a precedent and I've been in the market for 15 years so I can say this stuff. But I remember saying it and I, and it was me and him. I said, listen, you might not like me. We might not get along, but the four of us, Martin, the cat, myself, producer Joe, we are, and maybe Stedman was board up and then I don't know, but God, he was an outstanding board up. Didn't talk much for sure, but uh, incredible board up. I said, we got to make sure that if we ever have any issues amongst us, that we keep them amongst us. Because if it gets outside the room, that's when you can run into problems. And that's the thing for as, for as bitchy as Joe could be and would be. And by far easily, there's no, I don't even know who second place would be easily the bitchiest of all producers who've worked on the show. Um, like with his arms flailing and just like in a panic attack, if we didn't go to a break, um, you know, cause Gabe was on hold or something. Uh, and I love Gabe, but I'm, I'm using the example of like, it's a guy I've known for 15 years who I can just go, Hey Gabe, we're running late. If you can't do it, fine. We'll be yeah, fine. But Joe's back there having a coronary, but there was always for real tip of the cap to him. And it's still, I guess here in 2019, even though I know worked on the show in uh, six years, it was just understood. It was, it was the four of us, uh, against the world. And it wasn't initially like we were like, hey, we're going to do anything. It's just like we started getting fucked with. And then we're like, the only way that we can win is if we stick together. And that started very early. There was a defining moment in 2006. Um, or I guess they were fucking with the cat, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't know, they needed me to like accept my option on my third year or something. I don't know, whatever it was. And the GM's like, well, I need you to sign that. And I go, well, actually, I know I don't have to sign it. And so I'm not signing until you make sure Jim Hayes is taken care of. And I remember the look on his face. And I think that was the first time I felt like actual, the power of what the thing had, even though it wasn't, I guess it was getting popular. But uh, I remember the look, I just I do remember that. I just can picture where we were and the look on his face where he's like, oh, fuck, <laughs> you know, he knows. And now that he knows, now I know we got to, we got to, we got to take care of this situation. Um, and there's, there's something to be said for that. So that's how it started. Unfortunately, uh, things didn't go well group. They were losing money. Joe got banty, told the GM to go fuck himself. They fired him in like August of 06 or September of 06. They bring in Jason Barrett. He irritates a bunch of people, writes a long email to Martin Kilcoin and me and the cat, but it was directed at Martin and the cat about them leaving early from a show in New York during the 2006 NLCS. And when I saw that, um, I knew that Martin was going to lose his shit because it was out of line. Uh, it, you know, I wish somebody had that email too. It'd be great if they did because people wouldn't believe it if they saw it. Um, 
and uh, and Martin quit, and uh, but it wasn't before he gave Jason a piece of his mind in the conference room in Webster Groves, um, and that is how essentially the first morning grind ended, and then it became the morning after. Uh, although in between there was the five months I worked with Bob Fesco, who's a very nice guy, as I always say. Just we just didn't, you know, we just didn't have a, you know, it, he does one thing, I do another thing, and then um, I got out of there, got out of my contract. Uh, and, um, we, uh, started up the show the morning after it, it, uh, 1380 brought producer Joe back, brought Doug in and, uh, joined me and the cat who had been whacked by KFNS in January, 2007. And, uh, and there you go. I mean, it's the same three hosts for the last 12 years with a number of public near death experiences and even more private near death experiences. So uh, there is a very brief history, but to answer how Martin the Cat and I started, there it is. Uh, was filling in for Frank Cusimano when I was working. All right, I, I like Pete. I like that question from the audience. That's I think we covered. One. I think we we covered we covered perversion, which is good. We covered entrepreneurial spirit, uh, which is good. We covered uh, St. Louis uh, inferiority complexes with broadcast entities, which is good. And I guess you can never go wrong with a a TMA question, uh, TMA history question. I feel like I checked all the boxes. What else would people like? What else would people like? French fries? Yeah, that's, that's always, really popular. Yeah, yeah, you can go wrong with like a good crinkle-cut discussion. Soppings, sure. All right, there it is. Questions from the audience. Thank you to Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, uh, James Carlton, Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, Highway 270 in the Washington, Elizabeth, online at landoff.com, Chevy, find new roads, and Design Air Heating and Cooling online at designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. If you have a question, now you kind of know. Oh, Tim's comfortable answering these questions? I am. Email tmckernan at insidestl.com, and uh, we'll talk about it. It could wind up being a whole episode, and then, as I always say, it's like the Bill Walsh coaching tree. It could wind up leading to episodes of content because it could lead to uh, further questions. So I'm, it's a free-for-all, you know, and I can kind of go into a septic tank that I don't want to drag the cat and Doug into sometimes on the radio. It's like my own little septic tank, and Gangster Pete's fine with being drug into the septic tank so uh yeah bring bring whatever you want to the table and if we're just like oh that guy's a fucking asshole we don't want to talk about that we just don't read it uh so take your chance you got to shoot to score all right thanks for listening as always to the tim mckernan show here on the inside stl podcast network from the homeloanexpert.com studios